0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 3rd of May 2015, entitled, Facing Your Past, Part Two. And the Bible reading is taken from Genesis chapter 32, verses one to 32. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Genesis chapter 32, where we'll be taking our scripture reading. Now, I explained to you last week that we began this thought of facing your past, we're continuing in our Genesis account, and we were looking at thought for the, I don't know, two or three, several weeks running, on the affirmation of God's judgment, looking at the foundation, the basis that is laid in the book of beginnings for God's judgment, the only judgment. Of course, we made some statements there about the fact that Because the problem with us is we are always, even at our very best, we're dealing with partial information. When we make judgments, we're dealing with either a lack of information or sometimes misinformation. But it's only God that can truly, and that's why that we are warned to be so careful in passing judgment one upon another but that God will do that one. He is a righteous judge. He will not get it wrong. But I said last week, and I don't always know the reasons, I just knew with absolute certainty that God was saying I needed to move on to this next thought before we've got one or two more to go back to on that. And so last Sundays and this Sundays will probably not be posted up on the internet for a bit, Because I've asked Neil to hold off until I get the right numbers in the right order for those that are listening to it out there. But we're really looking more now at the assurance of God's promises. And the way we began to look at that last week was in facing your past. I'd like to us to, once again today, to begin by reading this account of Jacob here in Genesis chapter 32. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's precious and holy word, again taken from Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse 1. And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of the place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, into the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now." And I have oxen and asses, flocks and men servants and women servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find grace in thy sight. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and herds and the camels into two bands and said, if Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which saidst unto me, return into thy country and to thy kindred and I will deal well with thee I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me, and the mother with the children. Thou saidst, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And he lodged there that same night and took of that which came to his hand a present from Esau, his brother. Two hundred she-goats and twenty he-goats, two hundred ewes and twenty rams, thirty milch camels with their colts, 40 kine and 10 bulls, 20 she-asses and 10 foals. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants. Every drove by himself. Said unto his servants, pass over before me and put a space betwixt drove and drove. And he commanded the foremost saying, when Esau my brother meeteth thee and asketh thee saying, whose art thou? And whither goest thou? And whose are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, They be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my lord Esau, and behold also, he is behind us. So commanded he the second and the third, and all that followed the droves, saying, On this manner shall ye speak unto Esau when you find him. Say ye moreover, behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us, for he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me, and afterward I will see his face, peradventure he will accept of me. So went the present over before him, and himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night and took his two wives, and his two women servants, and his eleven sons, and "'passed over the ford Jabbok. "'And he took them and sent them over the brook "'and sent over that he had. "'And Jacob was left alone, "'and there wrestled a man with him "'until the breaking of the day. "'And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, "'he touched the hollow of his thigh, "'and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint "'as he wrestled with him.' And he said, let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob called the name of the place Pinal. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. As he passed over Penal, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh, and to this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. Father, thank you so much, Lord, that as we gather here today, that we have your word, that we have your spirit, because, Lord, we are incapable within ourselves. But We pray that you would meet with us today. Use thy unworthy servant, you know the hearts of every person that is here. Lord, we pray that you would speak that under your power, That is needed today. And we'll give you the praise and thanks for it. In Christ's name, amen. And amen. I told you last week that I had literally pages and pages and pages, and it's fairly small print of hundreds and hundreds of known phobias. People are afraid of so many things. And it's amazing that the list keeps growing all the time because people seem to come up with more. And more fears. I told you that I was interested as I looked through there because I found a couple that I was sure was maybe running rampant in our church, and one was ecclesiophobia. Ecclesia, ecclesiophobia. That's people that are afraid of church. And I'm sure there's some people that are afraid of, uh, of coming to church around here. And of course, another one that, uh, uh, that I, I liked a lot was homilophobia. A homily, a sermon. They're afraid of sermons. And uh, and so therefore they have a fear of sitting under sermons. And there's hundreds and hundreds of them, uh, but fear is something that we all deal with even though that we don't like it. Fear is something that many times we're taught to not be afraid, that we have to be tough, that we have to show people that we're not afraid of things. And certainly for the guys, it's not a manly thing to be afraid of anything. We've got to be tough. We find that fear is a reality of life. I gave you an illustration last week, and I won't go back to you, but I want to remind you of it because just as we have seen when we look at the basis of God's judgment, that we, so many times, we judge wrongly because of either a lack of information or false information. And I said last week, that is very much the same with our fears. So many times our fears are based on wrong information or a lack of information. And therefore we're fearing things that we don't even need to be afraid of. I used the Christmas movie home alone. <laughs> and of course, most people think of Kevin and they think of these really extremely intelligent thieves that, uh, that this whole conflict is between. But I said underlying in that was the old man that lived next door. And Kevin and all the other kids were absolutely terrified of this guy. And all the rumors were flying around of, you know, of how dangerous that he was and that, you know, that he had killed these people and buried people in his yards and all this stuff that this tremendous fear was there. But as the movie progressed and he ended up sitting next to the old man in the, in the church and he began to find out that that was all misinformation. <laughs> the old man was actually hurting because of fear in his life of facing his son who he had had a problem with many, many years before, that he was afraid to go with them. He was afraid of rejection. He was afraid that his son wouldn't receive. And you stop and you think, well, you know, how stupid can you be? You know, how worse off could you be if they don't accept, if they reject it? How is that any worse than the situation you're in when you've got no relationship anyway? But we find this conversation pursued. And at the end of the movie, one of the last scenes is the old man And his son, because he was there in the church listening to his granddaughter, that's the only way he could see her, but here was his son and his daughter-in-law and the little granddaughter being reunited. What am I saying? I'm saying the fears of those kids for the old man, they were all falsely grounded. They didn't have anything to be afraid of. The old man's fears of being reunited with his son or of not being reunited, they were all false. The son wanted to be reunited as much as the dad, but people weren't facing it. So we said, we find a great example here of when we began to recognize that the promises of God are sure. They are certain. And we said that this whole idea of facing our past and people so many times there, there's a fear of facing their past either what they've done or the consequences of that. And so we looked last week at the simple thought, first of all, that if we are ever going to be victorious, if we're ever going to get to this point of facing our past and being able to get past that, that the first thing that we have to do, we looked at verses 1 through 8, we have to face the fear the first thing that we see with Jacob there was that he had to recognize his position where he was at. He had to recognize. Remember, this was 20 years, 20 years since he had fled his brother Esau after he had stolen his birthright and Esau had threatened to avenge him. 20 years that this rift had been there. But Jacob came to a point where he recognized his position even 20 years that this had been going on. But we said that, and Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. You see, not only did he recognize his own position, (laughs) but he realized the prophets of the Lord. When Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. And then we looked thirdly last week that Jacob responded with piety, with goodness, with humility. We saw this as we looked at verses 3 through 8. We find that so many times grudges can cause us to act in all kind of ways. We saw there that as he began to send the message, and if you read on through the chapter as we did, that even Jacob, when he sent the messages to his brother Esau, He had his brother addressed as Lord, (laughs) but he always addressed himself as a servant. You see, he was humbling himself. He had wronged his brother. His brother had avenged to kill him. His brother had avenged, and so here he is in going back, but he had come to a point, and we said that if he went back, then he had to face Laban's vengeance. If he went forward, he was facing a death threat from his brother Esau. What's he going to do? Well, for him to move on with his life, he had to face those fears. But I want to, as we move on today, not only do we find that in facing our past, do we have to face those fears. Jacob was never, ever, ever going to get anywhere with his life until he faced the fear that had been there for 20 years of a wrong that he had done. He had to face what he had done in his past. we find that it was a pretty fearful thing. We find that suddenly here's his brother. He sent messengers ahead so that his brother's not surprised by his coming. He's let them know that he's coming. And then we find that, uh, okay, his messengers came back. Okay, Esau's coming, but guess what? He's coming with 400 men. And we said, the Bible doesn't tell us what Esau's purpose was in coming with the 400 men. Was he coming to get his vengeance on his brother? Or was he coming because he now knew that not only was Jacob there, but he had all of his men and all of his family and all of his... earth? Maybe he was afraid as well. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, but one thing we do know for certain, verse seven said, and Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. So afraid that he divided his people into two parts so that if Esau came and attacked one, that maybe the other would be able to survive. So we find that he had, he had done the right thing, okay? He'd faced those fears. Yes, he'd recognized where he was, and when he stepped out to do something about it, God was right there, God's hand was right there with him, the angels of the Lord were with him, and he went with the right attitude, he went with the attitude of of piety, of humility, of kindness to his brother he seems to be doing everything like he's supposed to, he says, well, this isn't working out like I thought it would suddenly he's got this great fear of his brother coming against him with 400 men, and maybe everything being wiped out, God What's going on here? And I ask you this question as we came to a close last week. How do you find the strength to go on? Even though you've tried to do what's right, you've tried to move in the right direction, but things are looking pretty hopeless. That is exactly where Jacob was at. He had begun to make his moves to do the right thing, to resolve this thing. He tried to have the right attitude towards it all, and yet didn't seem the things were going in a way that was very hopeful at all. What, how do you find that strength? Well, can I say, first of all, that what you have to do is the same thing that Jacob did here. You have to, first of all, acknowledge your helplessness. Jacob's done all that he can in his own strength, in his own wisdom, yet he still doesn't know what lies ahead. He doesn't know where all this is going to to lead to. He doesn't even know what it means for his family. He's trying to, to split them up and to divide them out so that maybe at least part of them can be safe. He's taking precautions just in case that their lives are in danger. Of course, it's at this point and all of this uncertainty that we see this man, Jacob, humble himself even more. Now, too often, we come to those, those low points in our life, those critical points in our life when we're facing our past, when we're facing the consequences of something that we may have done last week, it may have been last year, it may have been 20 years before, as it was with Jacob here, and especially when it's past sins that may have severe consequences. Unfortunately, these are things that we brought on ourselves, and it's hard for us to distinguish sometimes because saying, but God forgives us for everything. Yes. Because God forgives us though, it doesn't wipe out all the consequences. I mean, I can give you a pretty few simple statements. You know, if you go out and commit murder and maybe you took somebody's life and you say, preacher, that's extreme. Yes, it is. Will God forgive you for that? Yes, he will. Matter of fact, he'll forgive you so much that the slate is wiped clean and he doesn't know anything about it. But I promise you something, just because God forgave you, he doesn't suddenly rise up from the dead. There were consequences to that sin that have gone with him. We deal in a world, I've had to deal with many people where maybe, that, maybe they'd had an abortion early in life. Because they had committed sin. They'd been in a situation where they ought not to have been. They had a child, but they didn't have a husband or a wife or a spouse because they had been engaged in a relationship that was not the way God designed it. Will God forgive them for those terrible mistakes that they made? Well, yes, he will if they'll turn from that sin and turn to God. But it doesn't take away the consequences. I won't dwell there, but I'll give you an illustration that hits very close to home. You see, I was raised in a Christian family and I gave my life to the Lord at a very young age, but I reached a time in my teenage years when I rebelled totally against God and totally against anything that God wanted of me. And I can remember the time when in Zaragoza, Spain, and I was stationed there and I had gotten so far away from God that it was almost like I was in a different universe. You know what? There were Christians there on that base. (laughs) And I can remember those, those Christians, and I can remember how they used to try to encourage me to come along to church with them, to come along to a Bible study, to do something that they thought would help my relationship with God. And to start with, I just kind of put it off. Yeah, sometime maybe, but as they pressed more, I got nastier, and I got nastier. Until the point was, I just tried to avoid them altogether. I didn't even want to be in the same room. If I saw them coming down the street, I would cross to the other side. Now, on the outside, they saw me being one nasty person, not wanting anything to do with them. What they didn't see is on the inside, uh, all the conviction and guilt that was going on, because, man, how have I done all these things? I was having trouble dealing with my past that was very much in the present, Because, man, I couldn't believe all this. But I didn't want to be faced with it. But there was something even worse during that time. Somebody that was a very, very close friend of mine. He actually got saved during that time by some of those same Christian lads. He came to know the Lord. He started going to church. He started trying to do what was right and had less and less to do with a lot of the things that we were doing that were sinful. You know what? As a backslidden Christian, instead of trying to encourage him in the things of the Lord, (laughs) I tried to lightheartedly mock and make fun and bring him away from those things. Why? Because when I was around him, it made me have to face my past and I felt guilty. (laughs) It was easier for me if I got him out there doing the same things that I were doing. You got to (laughs) realize, you know, so many times what you see on the surface of people is not what's happening inside But what's even worse about that is I did have an influence on him, a very negative influence. May I say to you, years later, years later, matter of fact, years later, after I was in the ministry, years later, even after I came to this country to minister, I was still struggling with that in my past. You know, what difference would it have made if as a believer, If I had been an encouragement to that young man, because as far as I knew to that day and to this day, he never turned back to the Lord. And I had to call him up. He happened to be in Germany at that time. I had to call him up on the phone one night and just beg for his forgiveness. I don't know where his life would have been, but I, man, I had things in my past. I don't even know what the consequences would have been had I done otherwise. I didn't know how to deal with it. But I couldn't really get on until I dealt with what it... How do you find the strength? I think that the first thing you have to do is just like, just like Jacob did. You've got to acknowledge your helplessness. I can't go back and change those things. I'm not even certain what the consequences are still going to be from some of those things. But they're out of my hand we find that second corinthians chapter 12 verse 10 says also therefore i take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches in necessities in persecutions in distress do what i take pleasure infirmities reproaches necessities persecutions distresses? How in the world can you take pleasure in those things? May I say, because he goes on to say, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. When we're dealing with it in our own strength, Jacob had dealt with it in his own strength for 20 years, and he hadn't done anything. Suddenly, when he faced those fears, He had to find a strength that was beyond his own. He first had to realize his own helplessness and acknowledge that. But secondly, he had to ask for help. Isn't that hard sometimes? Isn't it? You know, that's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. Any of these things that we're looking at here in Jacob's life, you know, nobody's going to get anywhere until they'll first of all, recognize where they are, where they've come from and where they're going to, where they are. They're never going to get anything until they realize the providence of God. God had made a promise to this man, and God was there. As soon as he stepped out, God was there to respond in the right way, in the right attitudes, To find that strength, we acknowledge where we are and we ask for help. Jacob's prayer that's recorded for us here is really an amazing prayer. He's tried to do what's right, but now he is a broken man. He is crying out with sincerity from his heart. He had to come to the point that he acknowledged that he was helpless before he genuinely reached out to the Lord. Now you'll find, If you go to your study Bibles and you go to your commentaries and you start reading about this passage of scriptures, there's quite a difference in the way that theologians see this. And some of them have the idea of whether this wrestling match at the end of the scripture or this point right here when he calls out in prayer, when was the real turning point in Jacob's life? When was it that he actually turned his life to the Lord? Well, it's certainly at this point that we see that Jacob has recognized his own inabilities, his inability to save himself from this situation that he has to call upon God. It's certainly the way that each and every one of us has to come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior when by the power of the Holy Spirit we are humble before God, confessing our own sinfulness, acknowledging our own deadness with no hope of reviving ourselves, admitting that life by our standards and the standards of this world around us only leaves us with no peace, but in fact is destroying us. (laughs) It's only in that state of sinfulness, of helplessness, that we can turn from that life that has bound us. Again, I won't dwell there because most of you have heard my testimony. I remember, I remember the heart's cry when, as an 11-year-old boy, I came forward, even though that to that point in my life, I... would I'd lived in a Christian home. I'd I'd been to church nearly every Sunday of my life, I'm sure, and and all these things, and yet I came to realize my own sinfulness, my need for a Savior. I've shared with you how at 21 years old, after the reckless life that I just shared with you that I was living at 21 years old on my honeymoon when I came back and committed my life to the Lord. (laughs) And you know, I said before, I don't remember a word of that prayer, but I can never, ever, ever, ever forget my heart's cry. I don't know how I voiced it. I remember a broken man that had come to the point where he had to acknowledge that he was helpless, that he was destroying his life, that there was no hope without Jesus Christ that came to a point that he realized if there was any hope at all, it was in Jesus Christ and what he had done for me. I don't remember a word, but I remember a heart that cried out to God, just as Jacob does here, God, please. (laughs) I don't know how you can do it, but forgive me. Forgive me for the way that I've disgraced you. You see, I, I, I know what came from the heart, and I know what God had promised that he would do for that. And as we find here, I want you just to notice a few things. In verse 9, we find Jacob calling upon the Lord. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said to me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal with thee. You see, we see the invocation. There's only one place to go the invocation, the calling upon the name of. We invoke God. There's nowhere else to turn to. We go to him and to him alone and we can only go there through and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we see the faith here. You see, he's quoting God's promise back to him. God had promised him that if he would take this step, that if he would return, that he would deal well with him. He doesn't understand. He's afraid of all that he sees happening because that doesn't seem to be the point. But here is a broken man. He believes that God will do what he promised that he would do. You see, what kind of faith is behind your prayer? When you call upon the name of the Lord, we see his confession in verse 10. His humility, his confession. He says, I'm not worthy. Of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. We find that he knows. He knows that he's not worthy to ask anything of God. He knows that he's made a mess of his life, but he comes confessing it. We talked about this earlier in our communion service this morning that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We find that Jacob is confessing his unworthiness. But not only is he confessing his unworthiness, we also see his thankfulness here. He knows that God has already blessed him beyond measure. He knows that it's God that has brought him this far. And he goes on and that's what he says to him, Lord, you know, for with my staff, I passed over this Jordan and now I am become two bands. Lord, I've made it this far. I'm here where I am. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me. And the mother with the children is plea for help. He's asking the only person that can help him to do what he needs to do that he doesn't deserve to ask anything. It's one thing to go to somebody and ask something of them when they owe you a favor, when you've done something good for them, but to go to somebody and ask them for help when you've wronged them, when you've let them down, when you don't deserve it. But you see, when we approach God, we have to recognize that's where we come from. Too many today, Oh, yes, we can come boldly before the throne of grace in Jesus Christ because of Jesus Christ. But we have to come humbly, not claiming something that we deserve, but recognizing that it's something that none of us deserve. He's praying directly and especially for what's there. Jacob is facing his past. He has had to face the fears By recognizing his position, by realizing God's providence, that God's in control, that God really is the one on the throne, and responding with the right kind of attitude and piety and humility that is the right attitude for him, regardless of what's happened in the past. And secondly, he's had to find the strength. The strength to face his past, because it was more than he could handle himself. He did this by acknowledging his helplessness and for asking for help from the only one in whom he could trust to give him that strength. We find that that's our hope today. Our hope today is just as Jacob's. My encouragement to you, I don't know what your past holds. I do know this, that we've all got things in our past that we're not proud of. We've all said things and done things and treated people in ways that we ought not to. The thing is this. It will never take care of itself. The promises of God are sure. You can count on them. Jacob is having to face something from his past that happened 20 years ago today. The things are your past until you deal with them. I said last week, you know, the Bible in the New Testament tells us, as the Apostle Paul was saying, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing towards the mark, the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There's only one way that you can forget those things which are behind. That's first of all, you've got to face them. <laughs> you've got to confess them. You've got to deal with them. Jesus Christ, you see, once He faced those fears... He found the strength in God to deal with it. That's where you'll find the strength. You might find it very challenging and very difficult, and you can make a whole list of all the reasons why. But I'm saying to you this morning, just as soon in verse 1, as soon as Jacob stepped out and went on his way, God was there. He saw God's hand. He saw God's divine hand that worked there. I promise you, we've got those same promises. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. God will keep every promise that he's ever made today. Are there things in your past that you need to face that are just there, that have laid dormant, and maybe every now and then they, they, they raise their head? Well, face them as Jacob did. God will help you. You need to face those fears, and you need to find the strength in him that will help you do that. Father, I thank you this morning, Lord, that these are simple truths. (laughs) There's so much that we can see from the life of Jacob. But, Lord, as we do these simple things, because this particular chapter of his life was when he was having to face the past of something that he had done wrong, 20 years before, and Lord, he had come to a place to where that he had to face that past. He had to face those fears. He had to recognize where he was, and he needed to realize your presence, that you were the one that that was in control, that your promises were sure, that just as you promised him that you'd be there, that you were there. Lord, those promises are still sure for everyone here this morning. And, Lord, if we're going to find the strength, find the strength to be able to do it just as we see Jacob, Lord, acknowledging his own helplessness and asking for that help from you. That's where we are, Lord, and we can all leave here this morning with those same things in our past, not dealing with them, having our lives hindered having our futures hindered because we're not willing to put something behind us. We need to face those things. We need to face it in your strength and not our own. I pray, Lord, you know the hearts of each one here. Help each one today not to ignore that which you would speak to their hearts, but help them, Lord, to face their past In the way that you give us in Scripture. Help them to know that you're there with them. For in Christ's name we pray. Amen.